too many microphones. Brooke is like three feet taller than I am, and I, I guess I could preach with a lectern right in front of me like that. That would probably work, right? <laughs> I don't need them. I wear them because they look cool. Let's... <laughs> All right, let's let's pray before anybody makes more fun of me. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would help me to accurately reflect your word, Lord. That you would help me to um, preach the gospel as it's contained in the text, Lord. That I would I would unpack the treasures of Scripture, Lord. That it wouldn't be me, but but you, Lord. That that I show to these folks, and I pray that you would be with them and touch their hearts, making them uh, just fertile soil, like ground ready for for the seed of the word to be planted and watered with your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. We are uh, in the last chapter of John. This may be, I think next week will be the last sermon in John. Um, and uh, John is sort of tying up his arguments, and I, I want to get into that, but I, I, uh, this is sort of a new uh, theme he's working into. We're going to talk a, a little bit about witnesses, and I've been trying to figure out the right way to explain this. And, and actually, the, the way I, I would think of this, um, I, I used to work in, like you all know this because I talk about it ad nauseum. Everybody's like, oh, I used to talk about that home that he used to work at. I used to work with, at, at, a, at a mental health um, facility with, with clients who were violent and, and drug addicts and sex offenders and stuff like that. And one of the lessons that I learned, it took me a few years to learn it, um, but one of the lessons I learned was that um, the people you should be afraid of are the people who don't threaten you. Um, anybody who has to threaten you and swear with creative like oaths that they're going to hurt you badly, they are not going to do anything. Like I have never been punched by a guy who swore on his illegitimate son's head that he was going to knock my teeth out. Because you don't have to swear on anything if you're really violent, Right? You just do it. If your word has no weight, you have to swear by everything in the world. Does that make sense? I, I remember a kid, I, I, we were up in Minnesota. On our way up to Minnesota, he told me several very scary stories about violent things he did. And the first night we were in Minnesota, we're in our tent, and we heard this knocking around, and I opened the tent flap, and there was a bear about here to the fan. He gets bigger and closer every time I tell this story. Um, <laughs> And, and this young man, this, this gang member who, who had told me a number of very, like, scary stories, um, when he saw that bear, that, that violent, brave instinct that he had told me all about suddenly was nowhere to be seen. And, and he froze in place while I chased the bear off. Um, then he made fun of me for it, which is what teenagers do. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the point I'm making is, a witness, a person who stands up and tells you something is true or not true, like, like their word is enough. You get what I'm saying? Um, there are folks I know if they tell me they're going to take care of something, I know it's going to get taken care of. I love my children to death. If they tell me they will feed the puppies eventually, I know I'm probably going to do it myself, right? Because they're going to put it off, and they're going to put it off, and they're going to put it off, because that's just what they do. Um, I suspect that my wife would say the same thing about me. If I say, oh, I'll take care of that later, 
Later means pretty... No, it doesn't mean never. If I say I'm going to do it later, it might mean three or four years from now, but it's going to get done. The trash will not pile up forever. Um, as, as we kind of get into this text, John is going to talk a lot about witnesses. And the important thing to understand as we get into this is um, there are witnesses whose like credibility is impeccable, right? They say something and you believe it just because you know it's true. And some of you all are blessed enough to know folks like this, right? Or to have worked with folks like this where if they say it, it's done. And you can trust it to the, you know, to the ends of the earth. Um, and then there are other folks you know where, like, it's the opposite. They say things and, yeah, maybe, maybe not. 50-50, 30, you know, 70. I can do math. I still have a cold. Um, so a little background for the letter. John, the apostle, John is writing this letter. Now, to be very clear, this is the John who wrote the Gospel of John. He is the John who traveled with Jesus for three years. He is the John who followed Jesus to the cross and was, like, ready to be crucified with him, right? Like, this is John who was the man. Um, John who took care of the Virgin Mary, like, well, the mother of Jesus, right? Like, took care of her until her death. Like, like John is not a small figure. And so John is writing this letter because this church has had a split. And the nature of the split... Um, it was about like this group of teachers in their midst who had begun teaching things about who Jesus was that were just incorrect. And John's whole purpose in this letter is to address the false teaching and then to sort of like mend the injury, right? Um, any of y'all ever have like a really severe fight with a loved one? Like a big fight? Um, and then afterwards... Like, you don't resolve it, and you just sort of keep going without resolving it, and you sort of hope that both of you forget about it, and you know you don't. You sort of walk on eggshells for a while, and the next time an argument starts, the old one is right there because it hasn't been fixed yet. He's, like, addressing the hurt and trying to resolve this stuff. And so we've kind of worked through a lot of his arguments, a lot of his material. Um, it would be too much to get all of it, but real quick, the last, like, six sermons have dealt with, like, this recurring thing where John talks about these proofs that you are in Christ and you belong to Christ, and that is you pursue holiness, right? Like, a lifestyle choice of holiness where, like, you're obedient to God. You are, like, in love with his teachings. This is who you are. Like, it is a natural offshoot, a natural product of being in Christ. You love your neighbors, right? You love your brothers and sisters in Christ is actually what he's specifically teaching, um, so, like, the people around you look around the room, these people who know Jesus too, right, the ones in the building over there and the ones in the building over there this morning, right? Like, we love these folks because they're family in Jesus, right? And then, um, finally, that we have, like, a correct confession about Jesus. We know who Jesus is. Um, for this particular church, the false teaching was about who Jesus was. And John kind of talks about witnesses at the end here. And all of it's going to tie together in a really neat way. Um, I explained last week, Paul, when Paul writes, it's like a, like a, like a, a stack of blocks, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or one block sits on top of another, sits on top of another, sits on top of another. And like he argues, he makes one point and that leads to the next point, which leads to the next point. And they all, John is a little more like weaving a basket, right? <laughs> like where one argument leads into the next, crossing the next, crossing the next, and they all sort of fit together because John was one of the most brilliant writers of his time. Um, sorry, cold. I have a cold. 
Uh, my mouth is dry. First uh, John five six. We're going to do the first half of the verse here. Um, this is he who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water, but by the water. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. I split this out from the second half of the verse because it's important. Um, John tips his hand as to what the argument was about. The argument was about, like, the nature of who Jesus was. And John emphasizes water and blood versus just water. And this can be very, like, what is he talking about, right? I mean, because there's not a lot of context in the letter. Um, However, in the Gospel of John, we see where water and blood are talked about together in John 3 and a couple other spots. Um, And there are two really strong explanations. I'm going to give you both. And we're going to go with them um, as probably both having some weight, okay? Um, it's probably the case that the teachers at the time were part of a heresy called the Gnostics. The Gnostics were all over the world. This would have been a very early group of Gnostics. They would be called the Proto-Gnostics. Y'all don't really need to know that. It won't be on the test. Um, but the Gnostics sort of combined all the weird Roman mystery religions with Christianity to make it more palatable. Got it? And so, like, amongst other things, they taught that Jesus was a man, period, who was born. And at his baptism, God entered him. And at his death, God left him. But he was nothing more than a man. Now, this is a, this is a teaching that, like, the church will fight for about 500 years, right? Like, this, this idea that Jesus was just a man. And that, by the water sort of sounds like that teaching. And what John is saying is, listen, Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry, and he died at the end of his ministry. He was crucified and defeated, our, like, like bore our sins, bore the punishments for our sins at the cross, and he was resurrected on the other side. Like he was, this is, these are both aspects of his ministry, but these guys are only talking about the water. They're only talking about the Holy Spirit entering him and him becoming this divine vessel. But that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is, Jesus, from beginning to end, was the Son of God, right? He was, he, was, he was a man, but he was also fully God, right? And that's every major false teaching that comes around, like, like not every, but, I don't know, 80% of them screw with this concept, that Jesus was not God, um, that he was not before um, you know, before creation, that he was not with God before creation, that he was not like one with the Father, that he was sort of this created being, or that he was like the Mormons teach, that he was born later, he wasn't always. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that Jesus is preexistent, like he always, always was. And sort of what John is halfway like implying here, he's pushing out this idea that Jesus came by water and blood, like the whole ministry matters, his whole life matters. Who Jesus was is a big deal. Now, These are things that testify, he's about to say, um, sort of in the next verse. um, I'm going to jump ahead and explain. He's about to testify that the water and the blood tell us about who Jesus is. Now, here's why this matters. People who encountered Jesus and followed him during his ministry were reacted in one of two ways. They were blown away and said, I will go with you anywhere you, you lead, like, anything i will walk away from my family business my family my everything peter probably walked away from his wife like in and all that and like left them to go follow jesus i mean like like there are these people who like everything and and actually of the 12 disciples john is the only one the writer here is the only one who died of natural causes in prison 
after being boiled in oil once. But like everybody else was either like skinned alive or had their head cut off or were beaten to death with clubs or you know, stoned or whatever. I mean, like all of these guys died badly because they met Jesus. They saw the ministry. This water and blood is sort of the beginning and the end of his ministry, right? That's one major interpretation. The other is that Jesus came baptizing because Jesus did, didn't baptize folks himself, but he had a ministry of baptism. Like he had his disciples baptized. Does that make sense? Like that's sort of the other read on this. Like I think the gist of it is his ministry and the wholeness of his life, right? Um, testifies as to who he was and people encountered him and they either like they either dropped everything to follow him and said i don't care what you have i want it or they hated him right and they encountered him and they said i see what you're doing but this does not fit with my worldview and so you you gotta go and a lot of times he would just shut their mouths by performing miracles and they couldn't respond well i still disagree with you but i guess you did heal that dead guy like (laughs) but still you're wrong you know and But these are witnesses as to who Jesus is. This is a big deal because of all the world religions, like you go around and you look at everybody who ever taught anything about who God is, Christianity is the only faith in the world, the only faith like actually in history that taught that God himself stood amongst us and that folks met him, hung out with him, saw him perform miracles, like lived down the street from him. I mean, you know, this is this guy. Um, and, and he's saying, listen, this ministry, this life, his teachings, all of this, it testifies to the truth of himself. Um, in the ancient world, um, when we look at history, right, you have emperors in Rome, and you got Alexander the Great, and you got all these things that have happened in history. Um, Jesus is the most well-documented ancient figure, right? We have, I think, nine firsthand sources that mention Jesus having met him in real life. There's no one else in history. Alexander the Great doesn't have that many. Actually, Alexander the Great has zero first-hand sources, zero. But he's one of the most well-known figures in history. Jesus is so well-documented. And part of what John is saying here is, listen, life, ministry testifies about who he was. And it's a testimony worth listening to. It's a testimony that carries weight. Everybody with me? Everybody still awake? All right, I'm just checking. Um, The second half of this verse, and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. Now, in John's writing, John talks about the spirit like a sort of personifying truth, like the Holy Spirit is sort of the enforcer of truth. There are times you don't have to raise your hand, but there are times um, in sermons where you will hear things or when you'll read something and it'll cut right to the heart of who you are. And you're like, I really break that rule. Or I really fall short. Or I really sort of ignore God in this part of my life. Or I really would rather live this way than the way God is calling me to. And you feel convicted. And that's the Holy Spirit, right? Like the Holy Spirit pushes this concept of truth. Like puts it in like sharp light. He inspires us to know things that we wouldn't otherwise know because he brings truth. Um, he pierces our stony hearts and makes them like, like capable of knowing truth. Um, And the Spirit testifies. So John has named three witnesses, right? He has named the water, the blood, so like the ministry of Jesus, his death and resurrection, um, and the Holy Spirit as three witnesses. Why does this matter? Well, in the ancient world, if you went to court, you had to have two or three witnesses for every court case. And they couldn't be just any witnesses. They had to be good witnesses, and they had to all agree with each other. This is one of the big problems when they 
put Jesus on trial was that they had like three witnesses, but they all had different stories. None of them could agree with each other. And so they're all telling stories, but they all disagree. And so they weren't very strong witnesses. Um, in this case, what John is saying is the, the life Jesus led, the ministry he did, it was in harmony with his, with his bearing punishment for our sins, with his death and resurrection. It all fit together. He taught what he lived, what he died for, what he was resurrected, like all fit together. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and convicts us. What does this mean? It is not emotion. Okay? Be very clear on that. There are sometimes we think, if I have a strong feeling in my stomach, a burning in my bosom, that means the Holy Spirit is talking to me. In reality, your emotions will lie to you. Can I get an amen? <laughs> there are times something you want and you think this must be from God, but it's really what you want will screw you up. The Holy Spirit is beyond that. It, is, it defies explanation, honestly. And I, I hate it's hard to talk about because, like, you don't want to say it is this, it isn't this, it is this, it isn't this. But the Holy Spirit testifies. And when the Holy Spirit testifies, you know it. It isn't just, oh, I felt really giddy. Oh, I felt really strong. Oh, I felt certain. Oh, I felt this. Oh, I felt that. Um, but the Holy Spirit makes it clear to us. He opens our heart and makes it capable of knowing the truth that God has brought about in Christ. And really, like, to know Christ is to know God. Um, and so, like, we have these three testifiers, like the, the ministry, the blood, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and they all fit together, and they all agree. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and they all three agree. Just said that, right? Meaning they all fit together. They all bring the same testimony. Um, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Now watch this. This is where it gets a little tricky because there's some Greek funniness going on here. And Greek is a funny language and it's not always easy to translate. What he's saying here, John has done this a bunch of times. It is called an argument from a lesser to the greater. John is super Jewish, right? And so, like, Jewish people think, ancient Jewish people thought differently than we do because we have more of a Greco-Roman way of thinking about the world, like the way that we argue and the way that we debate and the way we understand facts and numbers and things like that is very different from how rabbis taught, and everybody learned from rabbis, so they thought a certain way, and we think a different way. This is a super common Jewish rabbi argument. It's called an argument from the lesser to the greater, meaning if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Meaning, listen, if you can trust men, you sure as heck can trust God, right? If something like men say something and God says something, you should definitely believe God. Um, and John is saying this as an eyewitness of Jesus. John, watch Jesus die. John, watch Jesus pierce through the side with a spear. John watched Jesus taken down like he knew Jesus was dead. And then John was one of the first people to show up at the tomb with Peter, right? John and Peter ran to the tomb and Peter goes running in and John waited at the door and he came out and he said, he's not there. Like John is one of the first witnesses of the resurrection. Like he met the resurrected Christ. He ate breakfast with him. They walked on the beach. Um, he had to dispel rumors because Jesus said, hey, you know what? If John gets to be alive until I come back then that's what's going to happen. And later on, John writes, hey, he didn't mean I'm going to live forever, guys. Cut it out, right? Um, like he is a man who knew him. He could testify about him. And he's saying, listen, if you take my testimony, sure as heck you should take God's testimony because what am I, right? What am I? I'm not God. Now, 
what, this God's testimony thing, what do we do with that? Uh, if you want to look it up, it's in John. John has this great habit of like being continuous because he is a, I mean, honestly, a world-class writer. Um, quoting Jesus, he says, uh, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, meaning John the Baptist, not John, anyway, uh, for the words... <laughs> For the words that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me and and that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. Meaning you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't know him, um, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Um, What he's saying is, he's like, look. These testimonies are this, like this spirit, blood, water. In addition, you have God, the Father's testimony, which Jesus pointed out. He says, God, the Father testifies about me. The Father says things about who I am. Um, This is a confusing bit of text. We're not exactly sure what he's talking about. It might be a reference to when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and God's voice boomed out and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, right? That might be the testimony of the Father. Um, that's kind of my inclination is to believe that's what John's talking about, right? And what Jesus is talking about. The Father testifies as to who the Son is. Like the Father testifies as to who Jesus is. So Jesus comes with all of these credentials, right? And it's funny because the things that catch our attention sometimes are things that have nothing to do with this, right? If you look at like the top ten Christian books for the last like five years, right? They're, they're books about people who went to heaven and saw it. I saw heaven firsthand, and suddenly this carries, you know, like outsells the Bible. (laughs) Wow. Really? I mean, like, it's the testimony of men versus the testimony of the Spirit. Um, we, We sometimes look for things that aren't Jesus because it's a lot more fun to learn how to, like, obey new rules or how to, you know, receive your best life now or how to get some secret blessing that I can get if I just have enough faith and send money to the right guy. Like these things become like a greater attraction because um, the things that testify as to who Christ is, like the real weighty material, these eyewitnesses, but also the ministry, the blood, the spirit, the father, like these things don't always carry weight with us. And John is kind of calling out these false teachers in this respect. He's saying, listen, these guys have rejected all of this stuff. They've rejected all of this truth, and they've gone with something that doesn't carry any real weight. Um, They've gone with something that isn't about who Christ is. By the way, there's kind of an important concept here. Um, Let's go to 10 here. We'll see. Uh, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, which is what Jesus said in that previous verse, right? Like, you don't have the testimony in you because you don't know the Father. But John says kind of the opposite here, right? If you believe in the Son of God, that testimony is in you. Um, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Um, John uses this argument five times in this book. If you do not believe, if you do not love, if you do not this, if you say you're without sin, you make God out to be a liar, right? Um, And he does this because it's a big deal. We can't say, I believe this but not that. I'm cool with God, but I don't like Jesus very much. Um, I believe in God, but I think Jesus was just a great teacher, right? That's kind of a tough one. Or Jesus was a great example for us. That's all Jesus does. Or Jesus was a great prophet. That's all Jesus is. In reality, what John is saying here is, look, you cannot have it both ways. If you're going to believe in God, if you're going to have his testimony in you, it is a byproduct 
of believing the Son, of knowing Jesus, of walking in Christ. Um, this truth is in you only if, only if you have a Son. Because God reveals himself perfectly in his Son. Like, we know God perfectly if we know Christ. Um, everything else is just this, like, cheapy version, this, this knockoff. Christ is the real, like, revelation of who God is. Um, and this is the testimony that God gave us, or excuse me, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Now watch this. I'll explain this effectively. The testimony that God gives us, like when we know Christ, is we are suddenly alive in a way that we were never before. Um, how many of y'all, like, having met Jesus, discovered a whole new world that you didn't know existed? I felt like I should have sung that line. A whole new world. Um, thanks. I do that every once in a while. I'll see who's awake. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, we suddenly discover these things. I remember um, years ago when I, when I had these, this great spiritual awakening, and I realized how um, how much God had blessed me in certain ways and how much in rebellion I was in other ways. And then all these things I just didn't see because I was blind until, like, I really began walking with Jesus, right? Um, with John, eternal life with his son is not just living forever. It's not like going to Florida and staying there until, like, eternity, right? It is having Christ in your life. It is um, being really alive in a way that you cannot be alive at all any other way. Um, I didn't know how to love folks until God really loved me, and then it opened me up in a very different way. I didn't know how to serve people until God taught me how to serve people. I didn't know how to, like, sacrifice for myself because, again, I'm not great at it now, but I didn't have an idea of even how to begin until I had the Son. The Son is life. Like, eternal life is not isn't some wonderful vacation like winning the lottery. It is knowing Jesus. And the sun rises and sets by that. Um, I've had, golly, I've had two huge things in my life this week that I've been struggling with and angry about and frustrated with. And in both instances, I thought I should really start praying about this. And I thought, well, I don't want to pray. Anybody ever do that? It was just me. I'm the only stubborn person in the room. (laughs) And I swear to you, both times I sat down to pray about it, I picked up the same book two very different topics. I started reading like my devotion book before I started praying, and it was like, I mean, it was like the guy, I could have written it myself about why I was being dumb. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like, I read it, and I'm like, wow, that, that's coincidence, huh? There's no such thing as coincidence. In reality, God, like, it's providence. God aligns the world so as to meet our needs. And when I decide, well, hey, I will pray about it, and I will spend some time in the Word, and I'll do my reading, and I'll do my disciplines like when I come to the sun suddenly there's life in me right there's death and emptiness before and cold and and horrible Um, the more we have the sun the more alive that we are which by the way fits in with that previous three arguments he's gone over over and over and over again that like the sun brings us to holiness right I don't want to be holy if I don't like the reason I want to be holy is because I want to be the, like the sun. The reason I love my neighbor is because I want to be like the sun. And this is a product of knowing the sun. Um, John's argument is like a big eight, right? Like <laughs> he, he makes these points and then he drives it home at the end. He says, listen, 
if we know the Son, this testimony, this witnessing, it gives us this eternal life, this new life. It brings us to life. Um, I was teasing Hannah and Ross before service about uh, thumb wrestling. I think Hannah's been thumb wrestling with Ross since, I don't know, since you grew thumbs? I'm like, what is that, like five years ago? <laughs> That's because you picked on me before service. Um, <laughs> but, but I was teasing it because, like, Hannah's been thumb wrestling and trying to get Ross to beat her for years, right? How many times have you won? Yeah. How many times have you won in thumb wrestling against Ross? <laughs> so, none? None? All right. Um, and I was teasing her that at Ross's funeral 30 years from now, she would probably walk up to the casket and pull his hand out and, <laughs> and finally beat him while she has a chance, right? <laughs> hey, Rose, cremation. <laughs> Sorry, Ross, I don't mean to talk about you like you're not here. I <laughs> I had a point. Hold on. <laughs> Eternal life with Christ is, 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 is as such that we never simply start losing, right? It's not like there's going to be a day, you know, that Ross will suddenly not be alive. There'll be a day when his heart stops, right? No offense. But, like, because Ross knows Jesus, Ross will always be alive. Ross will live in eternity with Christ. Not like he's going to Florida or that dog who went off to live on the farm. Um, he will always be alive because he will always be with Christ. And that is a life that begins now, right? It is a life that has begun the moment you encounter Christ, the moment you are brought into new life, the moment that spiritual heart is awakened and the stone breaks away and it starts beating and you are a new person, right? And that's why... Even if Hannah does beat him at thumb wrestling at the funeral, it won't be a real victory because the box he came in is all that is, right? Ross will always be alive. He'll always beat her at thumb wrestling. Um, and so it is with us. If we are alive, we are like Christ. We pursue Christ. We become better. And we become better because, like, these true testimonies pour out of us. Um, my kids... I, I, it's, bedtime is a real struggle. I don't know if any of y'all ever had kids. Uh, but, and I'm sure your kids are better than mine. But, but last night I'm sitting there watching TV and I'm listening. It's like three hours after they've gone to bed. And I'm listening as the electronic toys are making enough noise that the neighbors probably were ready to call and complain. And for some reason they don't understand that I can hear those toys in the living room. Right? Like, wh what is that? Um, you can't have a good time in your bedroom like with your toys and the lights on and everything else without giving out evidence of that truth, right? The life that we have in Christ cannot be hidden. It will come out in some sort of way. You will not be able to fool your neighbors. Can't do it. You will not be able to push off people and like, you know, people will see Christ in you as a result of this new life. Like it is just who we are. That testimony in us that proves to us who Jesus is will reflect outward because it's going to make such a racket and shine so much light that the whole doggone world is going to see it. Does that make sense?
I had, uh, years ago, I, I, here's where this is going to get, well, hold on, let's do the last verse here. Um, Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Um, Having the Son will show up in you. I, uh, I worked, I worked with a gal uh, at the home. She, we had a school on site, and they had probably about 20 teachers, and the teachers made no money, and they had like the hardest job because they're trying to teach kids who are like violent and crazy and everything else. And this woman was, she was, she was a lesbian, right? Very nice lady. I used to sit down and I would talk to her about the kids. I'd come by in the middle of the day and sit down and say, "How's this kid doing?" Well, I watched him do this this week, and how's this going on? And then sometimes I talk to her, "Well, how's your family?" How's this going? How are your kids? How's work? How's this? And one day she looked at me and she said, Eric, you don't act like a Christian. Thanks. You know? <laughs> and I was like, really? What? <laughs> and she said, no, you're not rude to me. You haven't once told me I'm going to hell. I got four people who work here who told me I'm going to hell. You, you've never once like walked away from me when I've tried to talk to you because you're above me. You, don't, you just don't act like a Christian. That's what it means to have Jesus in you. You can't hide it. And she one day asked me, well, what do you believe about this? Well, I'm honest about it, and I was very loving and everything else. I'm not going to pretend I believe something I don't. I told this is what the scriptures say, you know, but it, it doesn't mean I don't love you. It's funny that the people who love Jesus the most, right, the people who love Jesus the most were prostitutes and drunks, and sinners, tax collectors, like traitors. They were race traitors. Actually, what tax collectors were, they were race traitors. They were the refuse of their society. He was followed around by the lowest of the low. And like the religious folks at the time would look at him and say, if that guy was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of dirt is hanging out with him. Like he'd know better. And he knew. And he was Jesus. And that light is an attraction to people who live in the dark. Right? That testimony... And this is that testimony because you can't hide it. You can't. That testimony, that light, like like that that you know the ministry of Jesus, the blood that He shed for our for us, like blood we don't didn't deserve, like this sacrifice on our behalf because God loves us that much. This this you know the Holy Spirit moving and testifying this new life that's in us. You cannot hide it. And that means you love folks even when they drive you nuts, even when they're wicked, right? Even when they don't deserve it. I had a friend of mine who used to say to me, uh, actually he'd say to the kids, it was Barney, he brought me into the church of God. If you've got somebody to blame for me standing here today, it's that guy. Um, and he doesn't listen to my sermon, so he'll never know I said that. Um, Barney used to say to the kids, he'd say, you know what, this man walks up to this building next to a woman, he sees the woman there, runs ahead and opens the door and holds it for her. And she walks to the door, stops and gets angry and looks at him and said, did you hold that door because I'm a woman? He said, no, I held the door because I'm a gentleman. Um, Life in us is life in us, regardless of who other people are. We act like Jesus if our neighbor deserves it or not. We act like Jesus if the guy next to you in the pew deserves it or not. We act like Jesus if your husband or wife or kids or pastor um, or (laughs) whether they deserve it or not. Whether they can do something for you or not. Because that is this testimony that 